Hey family, I'm Zach Fazio with the Kidogo YouTube channel. May 3rd is Global Communications Day for the International Churches of Christ. We want disciples to know where they can go online to find information and resources for our churches. So please, share this video with your church to help your members stay informed. First, there's disciplestoday.org, the official website for the ICOC. Disciples Today is a portal to find all kinds of resources made for disciples. For example, click the resources section to find downloadable podcasts, Bible talks, Christian professional workshops, and an app that contains all of our Bible study series. There's also hundreds of inspiring articles about churches, conferences, and service projects. The fastest way to stay informed is to sign up for their free monthly newsletter. Disciples Today is also home to the ICOC Church Locator, where you can find contact information on hundreds of ICOC churches worldwide. There's also DT Heart and Soul, a matchmaking platform like Tinder or eHarmony that hosts men and women from our family of churches. Finally, Disciples Today wants to hear from you. Please fill out their survey so they can know what your communication needs are in all the different parts of the world. Next, there's the Kidogo YouTube channel. That's us. We make Christian videos. Find our channel by searching for Kidogo, K-E-Y-D-O-G-O. The videos feature inspiring stories, testimonies, and updates about upcoming events. We also have a series of videos that explain biblical doctrines and controversial issues. We also just uploaded our feature-length movie, Finding Guy. It's a documentary about a gay man who found Jesus and then started a worldwide movement to bridge the gap between the LGBT community and the church. The movie has received standing ovations from people all around the world. You can watch all three parts of the movie right here on YouTube. And please click the subscribe button so you can be notified when we make new videos. We're getting closer and closer to reaching 10,000 subscribers. Thank you for taking a moment to let us talk about global communication. We praise God for how he continues to bless our family of churches and keep us unified. God bless. Your word spoke creation 
your hope fills the nations your cross bled salvation the one and only son I cry and you embrace me I run and you still chase me and I fall your hands raise me like I'm your only This kind of love I feel You gave all for this nothing Yet there's nothing I can give to you It's true In a fish was a token First there's water, now it's wine There's a roof being opened And it's me that's there this time I can offer you nothing Cause there's nothing that you need from me why I see You're my miracle Miracle Every day and night Darkness turns to light Another miracle Love wins over hate Wake up world, it's not too late Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We're a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, I'm glad you're here. I'd like to thank Robert Correa, lead evangelist of the Metro LA Church, for doing such a great job reminding us of who God really is during last week's All LA Worship Service. Today, I want to return to our series, One-on-One -on -one with Jesus, and take a look at a conversation between Jesus and a centurion. As always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life for today. You may not know this, but I like doing crossword puzzles. I've been doing them since I was 19, and I think I find them relaxing, and I enjoy solving an entire puzzle. I also like learning new words. So today, for fun, I thought I would give you a crossword puzzle style clue 
for a seven-letter word. If you think you know the answer, I want to encourage you to type it into the chat window on the right. Here's the clue. To match or surpass a person or achievement, typically by imitation. If you think you know the answer, type it in the chat now. All done? Here's the answer. Emulate. Emulate is more than just merely copying a person or a behavior. It's becoming better than the person or better at the behavior that you're trying to emulate. Today, we're going to learn a few things about a Roman centurion that we would do well to emulate. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read verses 5 through 13. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing to be with us this morning. Speak to us through your word and help us to see the qualities in this Roman centurion that you want us to see and emulate in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, Capernaum was a prosperous city in northern Palestine in the time of Jesus. It was small, but important. As a center of commerce, it housed a contingent of about 100 Roman soldiers and their commander, a centurion, or leader of 100, hence the name. You know, centurions are mentioned several times in the New Testament, and surprisingly, they're always portrayed in a positive light. There was the centurion at the crucifixion of Jesus who said, surely he was the Son of God. There was Cornelius, the first Gentile baptized by the Apostle Peter, not to mention a number of other centurions who treated the Apostle Paul fairly during many of his missionary journeys and even saved his life on a number of occasions. You know, it seems that centurions were more than just the stereotypical image of a brutish Roman soldier. Rather, they were good-charactered, obedient men who, because of these qualities, rose through the ranks of the Roman army. And the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 is no exception. Now, hearing that Jesus had entered the city, he approached him on behalf of one of his servants who was in a great deal of suffering. Jesus offered to go to his house, but the, but the centurion refused, explaining that all Jesus needed to do was say the word, and his servant would be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read the story, I'm always impressed by the centurion's unwavering belief in the chain of command, and rightly so. But that's not all that's impressive about this man. In fact, as we dig a little deeper into this one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the centurion, we're going to find a few other things, a few other impressive things about him, which, as I said at the beginning, we would do well to emulate. The first quality that I want to point out was his compassion. You know, Webster defines compassion as the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, together with a desire to alleviate it. Simply put, compassion is to feel what someone else feels, and to do something about it. Look at what verse 7 says. Lord, he said, my servant lies at, the home, at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. You know, the word for suffering here in the Greek is basanetso, and it implies torment 
or pain of both mind, of both body and mind. Apparently, the centurion's servant was suffering from some form of palsy that not only left him paralyzed and in pain, but also despondent. I want to point out to you that throughout Scripture, there are several examples of people who approached Jesus on behalf of a loved one, whether it was a child, a relative, or a friend. Yet this is the only time in Scripture where a person came to Jesus on behalf of their servant. And this was at a time when there was no inherent value to human life. A person's worth, especially a servant, was, was only as good as what he or she could do for someone else. It would have been so much easier for the, for the centurion just to let his servant die rather than go through all the trouble and expense of trying to care for him. But he had compassion. You know, compassion is not the same thing as empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel what other people feel. But as Webster says, compassion involves action or doing something about their feelings. I like to picture it like this. The intersection of empathy and action. You know, there is no greater example of compassion than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He became one of us to feel what we feel, and he took action to save us from ourselves by dying on a cross. Maybe that's why the centurion approached Jesus, because he knew him to be a man of compassion. And maybe that's why Jesus was so eager to help the centurion, because he saw in him the same thing. The question is, does Jesus see in us compassion? You know, one of our values at Simi Church is to be a place where people belong. And that means all kinds of people, even those who may not have a lot to offer right now. It also means that we're going to have to be the kind of people, like Jesus and this centurion, who are able to feel what they feel and willing to help. The next quality that I want to talk about that jumps out at me in regards to this centurion is that he was considerate. Again, Webster's Dictionary defines considerate as being careful to not cause inconvenience or hurt to others, to be thoughtful of others. Look what verse 8 says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. In response to Jesus' offer, to come to his house and help his servant, the centurion refused, not wanting Jesus to come under his roof. Now, this was not because he was inhospitable or he disliked Jesus for some reason. In fact, the exact opposite is true. I think he would have loved to have Jesus into his home, but he was considerate of Jesus' time and reputation. It's not mentioned yet, but there were many people in Capernaum who were clamoring for Jesus' attention when the centurion first approached him. And most of them, like Jesus, were Jews who adhered to a strict code of conduct that governed their interaction with non-Jews, including a prohibition against entering a non-Jew's home. So not wanting to put Jesus in a position that might violate his conscience or injure his reputation, and certainly not assuming that he warranted Jesus' attention more than, his Jewish, more than Jesus' Jewish brethren, the centurion declined Jesus' offer to come to his house. Even in the midst of all the chaos going on at home, the centurion was considerate of Jesus' time and reputation. You know, I think at times we're so busy and distracted with our own chaos that it's hard to even notice, let alone think of, and be thoughtful about 
the people, about other people in our lives and what they're going through. You know, I want to remind you that even in the midst of our current troubles, God has placed a world of people in your life who are suffering just like you are, and even more so because they don't know Jesus. Are you praying for them? Are you investing in them? Are you inviting them to church online? And are you doing your best to be Jesus to them? Are you considering them? If the centurion was capable of considering others, how much more should we as Christians? Third quality, and maybe the most impressive quality that I see in the centurion, is that he was convinced that Jesus had the authority to heal, even remotely. Now, Webster defines convinced as being completely certain about something. Doesn't that perfectly describe our centurion? Look what he says in verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, his own experience in the Roman army taught him that there were certain people who had the authority to issue an order in one place and have it carried out in another. So there was no doubt in this man's mind that Jesus could heal his servant from anywhere. You know, sometimes I think we rely too heavily on our church experience or the church experience and not enough on our own personal faith in Jesus. What I mean is this. We expect others to do the heavy lifting, to have the talks, to influence our family, friends, neighbors, and even sometimes our own selves towards greater levels of faith, rather than relying on our own personal convictions. Yet the truth is, there's nothing more powerful as a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Even though the centurion was not a Jew, he had a deep Conviction. He was convinced that Jesus had the authority to heal his servant. You know, it's amazing to think because as a non Jew, he wasn't able to bring the servant to the synagogue and ask for the elders to pray over him. He wasn't able to bring the servant to the temple in Jerusalem and ask the high priest to pray over him. He couldn't even bring the servant to Jesus, nor could he bring Jesus to the servant, but he was still convinced that Jesus could heal him anyway and from anywhere. What the centurion lacked in community, he made up for in conviction. He was convinced. You know, there's no one better to bring the healing power of Jesus to people that you know than you. But you've got to be convinced. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. You know, Jesus was amazed by this man's faith. And he tells the people who were clamoring for his attention that he has not seen greater faith anywhere in Israel. 
making the centurion the first of only two people Jesus ever said something like this about. In verses 11 and 12, he goes on to tell them that there are others like the centurion, non-Jews, who are compassionate, considerate, and convinced in the authority of Jesus, and that they are filling up the kingdom of heaven, while many of the Jews, who should be the people that someone like the centurion was trying to emulate, would actually be left outside. Then in verse 13, he says to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Compassionate, considerate, and convinced. These are three things that we learn, that we see in this centurion that we would do well to emulate. You know, before I go, I have a confession to make. As awesome as this one-on-one with Jesus and the centurion has been, the reality is it never actually happened. Well, at least not in person anyway. I want you to take a look look at Luke chapter 7, verse 3. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, Luke 7 is a parallel passage to Matthew 8. It records the same interaction between Jesus and the centurion, but with slightly different information. In Luke's version, the centurion doesn't actually speak to Jesus directly, but he instead asks the elders of the Jews to bring his request to Jesus. Now, this isn't a problem, as both accounts can still be true, and the main points of the story are the same, but it does shed a little bit of light as to why Jesus was so hard on the mostly Jewish crowds that were following him. And so I think it's worth taking a closer look at. Let's read verse 4 again, 4 and 5 again. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. You know, the motivation that the elders had for wanting to help the the centurion was the fact that he had done them a favor. He had built their synagogue. Now, in verse 6, it says, So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And in verse 6, we find out that, in the, that, that they had no qualms about taking Jesus into his home and were only prevented from doing so when the centurion himself sent a second delegation, this time some friends, to stop them. You know, it's funny, but it seems that the elders were more concerned with what the centurion could do for them than they were about his servant, about Jesus' reputation, or even their own laws for that matter. No wonder Jesus was so disappointed with his Jewish brethren. While the non-Jew centurion displayed great love for the Jewish people and even built them a synagogue, in the name of expediency, the Jewish elders were so focused on returning the favor that they disregarded his concern for Jesus' reputation and were willing to violate their own prohibition against entering a non-Jewish home. You know, I have a friend who many years ago had invented a product. And he flew to a foreign country to have his product manufactured. And after signing the contract, he came home to find out that the manufacturer he had signed with was in the process of being sold and had no intention of honoring their contract with him. 
They only signed it to make their portfolio look better during their sale. So after losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, my friend's takeaway was to never do business with people who are only in it for what they can get out of it. You know, maybe that's why Jesus was so amazed by this centurion and so disappointed with the Jewish people, specifically the elders. They had reduced the centurion's love for the nation, his compassion for his servant, and consideration for Jesus' reputation into a simple transaction. Unlike the centurion, they were in it for only what they could get out of it. I think about how transactional our world has become. Things that were once sacred, like human life or marriage, sexual intimacy, and even our own bodies have been reduced to currency. We trade them for the things that we are told we need. It's almost as if we have returned to that ancient idea that human life has no intrinsic value and that we're only worth what we can do for someone else. But not according to Jesus or the centurion or anyone seeking to emulate them. You know, and that's exactly what we're trying to do at Simi Church. No matter who you are or what your story, you matter and you're welcome here. At this time, we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer. I'd like you to reflect on what we talked about this morning and what you learned. And most importantly, what are you going to commit to emulating? Afterwards, I'll close us out with a word of prayer and we'll be done.
Father God, thank you so very much for the one-on-one between Jesus and the centurion and the challenge that you've given to us to emulate him and to be compassionate, considerate, and convinced of your power. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the great things about being a part of Simi Church is that we are a compassionate bunch. And you may remember a couple weeks back, my friend Prakash Desaw did our wel- sent a video welcome to Simi Church. He's the leader of the Calcutta Church in India, and he shared about what's been going on there since this whole COVID-19 outbreak. And we've learned that in parts of the third world, they're getting hit very hard and even struggling to find food for even a day. The church in Calcutta is cobbling together funds and trying to, trying to buy enough rice or lentils just to feed their members for, for just one meal a day. Now, a number of you emailed me and asked, was there something that we could do to help out the church in Calcutta? And you know there is. I'm going to be sending out an email this week, and we're going to, we're going to try to take a one-time uh, collection over the next couple of weeks uh, that we can send over to the church in Calcutta, and it will go directly to the church there so they can go and buy food for their members. In addition, Hope Worldwide has put together a similar kind of fund that's much more broad in scope, not just for the churches in India, but other parts of the world that have been very hard hit. I'll be sending out information about that as well. I want to thank you for your generosity in advance. You know, at Simi Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose to life again. It is in this belief that we do everything. We're a member-supported church by people like me. You can give online at seemechurch.org, or you can text your offering to keyword seemechurch77977. I also want to remind you to take some time today and have communion. All you need is some matzah and some grape juice, and and you can uh, meditate on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as you take them. Lastly, I want Simi Church to be your church, your family's church, and your neighbor's church. You can join us right here every Sunday, 10.30 a.m. Thank you for joining us. God bless. Been holding on for too long Singing the same, those the same songs Putting me behind the misery It's all for me been holding on for too long, but now I've got nothing to hold on. It all just sounds